Good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? Man, it's so awesome to see each one of you. Uh, yeah, it was a privilege to be here last year, and then <clears throat> Mark uh, asked me to be here again and speak to you, and I, I just counted a, a joy and an honor. Um, I want to thank Mark and the faculty and staff, as well as you students, just for allowing me the opportunity to encourage you in God. Uh, how's, how's the semester been? It's been okay? It's been nice? Yeah? Challenging? You've got to adjust this semester more than you've done before. But it's all worked out well so far, I think. Nice to see each one of you. Praise God. Also just blessed with the praise and worship, man. That was so awesome. Uh, just to sense the presence of God. Praise God. I was walking by, uh, coming down to take my seat, and I saw a, a name there, Emily Zooks. Uh, uh, who's Emily? Praise God. Nice to meet you, Emily. I think I've met you before when you were much younger. Uh, your dad, Cal, uh, I remember I worked as a, his coordinator for uh, married family students here at my time when I was here in 2002. And so... Uh, to see the name and to remember is so beautiful. I had an amazing time here uh, at Prairie. Uh, I was here from 2002 to 2005 as a married student. I came from South Africa with two kids. And uh, it was one of the most beautiful times in my, in my life. Just uh, spending life here uh, in the community of Three Hills, but especially here on campus. And learning and uh, partaking, changing and uh, developing was what a, it was a wonderful experience and so i'm just honored every time i come back here just to walk through these corridors and remember those times and those seasons and so i want to encourage you as students you know just uh, uh, appreciate your time here you know a lot of the time we get so focused with what's going on and life is just moving and moving and moving and we forget to focus on the important things um, and so, you know, with your, with your experience here, I just couple that with a deep sense of awareness, awareness of what God is doing in your life and how God is changing you and transforming you. And uh, I'm privileged to speak on uh, one of the characters in the Word of God. And I laugh because <clears throat> when I chose the character, I think... It was powerful, and I thought it was quite a, a revelatory experience in choosing it, because at the time when Mark asked me uh, to look over which character I'd like to speak about and encourage you, uh, at the time I was doing a, a series at our church on the life of Peter and his experience and his expression of faith, particularly in the portion of Scripture where Jesus was walking on the water. And uh, he came to the boat, and remember at the time, the waves were being tossed and driven by the wind. And uh, Jesus walked there, and they thought he was a ghost. And uh, Jesus cried out and said, no, 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 I'm not. This is me. It's, it's me. It's Jesus. And Peter instantly, you know, he said to Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come out and walk on that water. Call me. You know, Peter was this dangerous character in the Word of God. He was ever ready to jump out and to stand and to do things. And uh, particularly in this series that I was teaching, I was speaking about faith and how it's important to step out in faith. We know that the Word says that without faith it is impossible to please God. And it was really a wonderful experience. And Mark had sent me this email and I was like, wow, this is awesome. One of the, thanks so much, Mark. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the characters in the choice that he suggested was Mark, I mean, sorry, Peter. And I was like, wow. 
<laughs> I said, wow, this is awesome because, you know, what? I'm speaking about Peter. Yes, I'll choose Peter. And then I began to look at the character and the life of Peter, and I was like, Lord, why did I choose Peter? <laughs> Peter, you know, I was looking at just his faith at the time, and it was just so powerful. And then I began, to, I began to study this life of Peter and the character of Peter, and I'm like, wow, this is quite a guy. His character was so flawed in parts, and yet he was so full of faith, and there was just so much. There's so much about this life of Peter, but it seems like this life was just so up and down and up and down. And I was like, Lord... What am I doing? This is not going to be the easiest task. And I kind of said, Lord, you know, well, first of all, the first thing is I contemplated phoning Mark to say, you know what, can I change the character to someone else? <laughs> and to be honest with you, part of the reason why I think it began, it began to be an enormous task was because I found myself in Peter. And I think we all can find ourselves in Peter. In this character that is expressed, you know, none of us can say we got it together. None of us can say that we're perfect. None of us can say, you know, hey, I'm strong in faith and, you know, I never am challenged with fear. And some of us can be rash just like Peter <laughs> when he speaks before his time. You know, there's this character that we can learn from Peter. And as I began to study more and more, and I was like, wow, Lord, in part, I know that you've set me up to encourage the students about Peter, but man, I think you're speaking to me too. And so I pray that as we go through this today, for the next maybe uh, 15, 20 minutes, as I speak, find yourself in Peter's life. Connect with those areas that sometimes we're afraid to connect with. No, that's not me. I don't want to be like that. But I think sometimes it's important for us to look at that and say, you know what? I see myself in Peter there. And I see myself in Peter there. And, and, and I also see myself in the good parts. And I, and I, but you know what? In order for us to go through the process of transformation, I think we're going to have to see ourselves for who we are uh, and the challenges that we face in our characters. And how do we then overcome those challenges so that we can express the goodness and the glory of God in our lives? Really, at the end of the day, isn't that we, what we have been created for is to express the character and the nature of Christ and that his glory may come through and out of our lives so that we can then be fruitful and touch people's lives as well. And so I looked at three areas of the life of Peter. Uh, there's an area in the first part that, like I said, stood out and... Uh, I think I saw a lot of myself in that was uh, Peter's character in crisis. And the, Peter went through quite a few crises. And I don't know if I would have survived some of them, especially when Jesus said things like this to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> I'm never sort of survived that. You know, and I'm like, wow, Peter, a character in crisis. But then there's also, thank God, a part in Peter's life, a character in restoration. Thank God that God is a restorer, that God can take us through this journey of life, and that when we fall short, that God is a God who redeems. He's a God who can take us and restore us. But not only that, the third part and the area that I'd like to just maybe encourage you in this morning is a character in transformation. Not only does he, you know, see us through crisis uh, and he restores us, but not only that, he also wants to transform us. And really, that's the Christian life. And that's a discipleship, a life that is in constant transformation 
and sanctification. Praise God, we can look towards it. So let's begin. A couple of things I'd like to say as we begin uh, and, and look at these three areas. Um, I've come to realize in life, it's not so much where you come from or the destination that you are wanting to get to, but it's the journey that you're on. We all have different paths that we come from, different experiences that have shaped us, shaped our character, shaped us to respond to life in a certain way, whether it's good or bad, whether it's negative or positive experiences in our past. You know, we are in part, or in most part, today, a reflection of our experiences we've had yesterday. And what we have to do as children of God is that we're going to have to not only move away from what that is that has shaped us, we have to deal with it, but then allow God through the power of His Holy Spirit to shape us and mold us and to change us so that we can be what He has called us to be. But we have a large plate, a part to play in it. You know, we have a large part to play in our decisions and how we seek God, uh, to see that materialize in our lives. And so I come to realize this journey of life that we are on is a beautiful, beautiful experience if we navigate it the way God wants us to navigate it. Uh, and I think what's imperative on this journey is knowing that the only constant on this journey is change. The only constant in life is changed. And when we as children of God or as people are seeking this transformation, we must understand that, that the foundation of transformation is change. That we are willing to change. We're willing to go through the process of change. And we know that life is hard. And we are habits, so we are creatures of habit. We like to do the same thing over and over again because it creates a sense of security in our lives. And when we step out of that, which is uh, the thing that we are constantly doing, there's a nervousness that enters into us. We don't want to do something different because if I'm good at what I'm doing now, something different might, you know, it, it, it might cause me not to be strong or strengthened or confident. But you know what? That confidence comes from ourselves. And when we are confident in ourselves, you'll never be able to go through the process of transformation. You're going to have to give up what you believe that you are holding on to confidently in yourself. And I think that's the, that's the challenge that Peter went through. He wasn't prepared to change. He wasn't prepared to go through some change. He was stubborn, like me and like a lot of us. So Peter's life, when you look at it through Scripture, is in constant flux. It's in constant change. And we want to thank God for that because Peter, even though in the beginning of his life and his earlier years seems to be this rash and brash character, we thank God that at the end Peter becomes one of the most stable characters in church history. He becomes so strong. He becomes a leader. He becomes someone that everyone looked up to. In fact, he would become someone where God entrusts his power and his nature and his character. And Peter expresses that. And to the end that, you know, a man who cuts off an ear of someone that wants to take life, Peter ends up giving his life in a way that was even, when we look at the cross that Jesus died on, Peter died on that cross upside down. And he went through change and was, and was willing to suffer. How does it happen? Before I begin there again, and I look at the life of Peter and John, these two characters that done so much for God. They express so much of the power of God in their lives, uh, in, their, in their time that God afforded them. You look at them and you look at Peter and John, two things in studying them I kind of feel like... Uh, <clears throat> 
they're almost like two sides of the same coin. You notice that? Peter, John seems to be this, this, this character that is so full of the understanding of the love of God and the love that God has for him. You notice John constantly says things like this, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. You know, and he characterizes himself that way. And it's almost like, man, is there an insecurity in you, John? You say it so much. It's like, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. And he's writing and penning this gospel of, of John. And he's, he's saying things like, you know, and this is the disciple that rested his head on the bosom of Christ. And he, he, he is so caught up and connected to the love that God has for him. Or really here in instance, uh, the love that Jesus has for him. But on the other side of this coin, and neither side is wrong or right, Peter is caught up with his love for Christ. John is emphasizing and he understands and has a revelation of the love that Jesus has for him. Not that that's wrong, it's totally right. But on the other side of the coin, Peter is like, I love you, Lord. I'll die for you. See, his focus is on himself. I'll cut that ear off. I'll show you. I'll never leave you. His focus is on himself and the love that he has for Christ. And we need both. You know, we need to understand and have a revelation of the love that Jesus has for us. And we do also need a revelation uh, of the love that we have for him. And I think John, more than, 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 than Peter throughout the gospel, he speaks about this revelation of the love that Jesus has for him, but he does also speak about the revelation that we need to love him. Really, that's discipleship, the need that we have to, to, to focus our love on Jesus and to be obedient. Doesn't he say that in... in uh, quite often in, in the Gospel of John, as well as in the epistles. But Peter seems to be so focused on himself. And this is what I find in study. The more you focus on yourself, the more you fall into the weakness of yourself. The more you look into yourself and everything becomes about you, the more you fall into that weakness. The thing that you focus on is what's going to drive you in your journey towards it. If your focus is on Christ, then that's what's going to drive you on your journey towards that love. But when your focus is on you and what you need to do and how wrong you are or how right you are, no matter what you do, you're going to fall into that trap. And so on this journey of transformation and this journey of development of character, having a character that honors God in a way that it does uh, well, maybe in a way that it underpins the calling and the gifts that God has on our lives. Because we all have been called and we are gifted. But sometimes, too often, our character dismantles or short-circuits the call and the gift that God has for our lives. How many of you have seen so many gifted and called people, but then they have a character that just disqualifies them from what God has for their lives? And maybe it's not so much those that we look out onto the other side. Sometimes in our own lives, there's so many things and qualities we believe we have, but we don't have the character to sustain it. We don't have the character sometimes to, to move on. So let's, let's, let's just trace this here. I think we've got about 10 more minutes. This character in crisis, Peter's character in crisis starts with foolish confidence. A focus on himself, on his own ability, a false sense of security. And that's what we find we do in life. 
We focus on ourselves. We depend on ourselves. We depend on what we know to do because if I don't do it, who's going to do it for me? And yes, in part, that is true. But we must never in that state lose our focus on our dependence on God. Because without Him, we can do nothing. But life is that way. We're taught to live that way. is to depend on yourself. Because if you don't do it, who's going to do it for you? you taught that. There's this self-confidence that we need in life to succeed. And yes, of course, we do need that in a sense. But we're not without the absence of the dependence we need to have on God. Because without him, we can't do anything. And we got to, sometimes in the middle of that crisis, we need to look to him and say, Father, I need you. I need you here. I cannot depend on myself. And we see this character in the uh, Apostle Peter. He has it in Mark chapter, well, let's look at it. Well, don't turn there. I'm just going to read quickly. In Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23, the Bible says, From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for, uh, from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. And there's Peter. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. How's that? What an apostle. What an authority he has, the ability and authority to pull Christ aside and give him a rebuke. Praise God, what a man. No. <laughs> he took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Why? You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. And we find he has this, 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 this highlight of, of carnality in the apostle Peter. A man that is carnally minded. He's like a mere man. He's thinking by his senses rather than by what Christ is revealing to him. And a lot of the time, we do that. We know that God's word is full of great and precious promises, but we do that when life gets hard. That's when we depend on ourselves. When, when, when the enemy throws things at us, the challenges of life come up against us, we suddenly feel that's the time we need to dig in and we need to be self-reliant. But that's not the time. That's the time to give up yourself. When the challenges come, that is the time to reach out and depend on him, to see things through his perspective. He keeps us in a safe place. Not only that, in Luke 22, the Bible says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon. And I wonder why he says Simon, Simon there, because I think Simon's name was changed before that to Peter. And yet Christ sees him and he says to him, Simon, Simon. This seems like this life is in constant flux, even with Christ looking at him, and Christ is even saying, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And 32 says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But listen to this. <laughs> Peter says to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. <laughs> then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Mark 14 puts it out this way. And Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 28 says, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to the Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, I will not. 
What a man. I won't. If everyone goes astray, I won't. <laughs> and Jesus said to him assuredly again, he reminds Peter, he says, I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. <laughs> Listen to that. He's not even understanding what Christ is saying. He's more vehemently in his approach. And he says, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And, and they all said the same. Mark 14 says, Then he came and found him sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, you are sleeping. <laughs> Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak, Peter. Mark 14, Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest. We know that's Peter and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said to him, have you come out as against a robber? <laughs> In other words, Peter, do you know what you're even doing? You don't even see the circumstance. You don't even understand the situation. And you've come out like you're coming out against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? In fact, I've already told you it's needful for me to go. Look at this life of Peter. But praise God, Peter's in the middle of all of that, can still go through a process of transformation. How many of you know, as weak as we are, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly and he can restore us. He can take us from our fears and he can make us people who can walk in faith. He can take us from people who are rash in our approach and he can help us develop our characters to a place where we can be soft and pliable to be molded in his hands. And this portion of scripture I'm going to read with you an experience where after all of this takes place and Jesus dies, and remember after he dies, well, during the, his death, these two hours that Jesus experiences uh, uh, on his trial, Peter is experiencing the same thing for the very same amount of time. Some of us, when we read the scripture, we don't quite understand that, you know, we think it's just an instant in time, but this experience that we look through here quickly lost the exact same time in the exact same place that Jesus uh, was experiencing, uh, you know, uh, uh, with Caiaphas and the high priest. So let's read it. It's John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. So when they had eaten breakfast, uh, sorry, sorry, uh, and now this is afterwards. So Jesus dies. Now how many of you know? Peter's not there. Peter denies Jesus three times. He experiences the very thing that Christ was saying. Peter, you don't, you, in your own self, Peter, you might be strong, but without me, you're not going to go through this. And Peter denies Jesus. Not only that, Peter walks away from Jesus and goes fishing, even after Jesus is raised from the dead. And Jesus meets with Peter. And Peter's got this character that is just so in flux, and, and he's gone fishing. But look at the goodness of Christ. The Bible says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, because Jesus sees them fishing out there and he's on the shore. And this is so beautiful. Eh? Christ prepares them a meal of fish and bread. And they are out there fishing and he's, I'm sure his heart has just turned towards his disciples. They are in crisis at the moment. They don't know what's going to happen fully. They don't quite understand what's happening. You know, This person that they depended on so much 
They gave up everything for him. Now goes and dies. And then they can't understand this resurrection experience. They don't know what's about to happen. They don't know what's next. And Jesus, I just imagine his eyes on them fishing there. And they can't catch fish again. <laughs> seems, like, seems like the character of these guys. They never seem to be able to catch fish without Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus helps them with a load of fish. And then they come to shore. Well, before they come to shore, I bet you they must have smelled this because Jesus had fish on a barbecue, brine or, or, or whatever, and he's got bread baking. You know, if any of you are fishermen or have gone fishing, you'll understand this. You know, you go for a long time without food and you get hungry, but you're focused on your fishing. And suddenly, towards the end of that, and you went towards shore, and you're smelling, wow, there's food, and you're hungry because you can't eat on this boat, right? You're waiting to get off. And here's Jesus having made them a meal on the shore. And John realizes, and he points out, and he says, that's the Lord. That's the Lord on the shore. And Peter, again, so just, he wouldn't even wait a moment. He puts on his clothing, fully clothed. He dives into that water. Why? He wants to go to Jesus, this character that loves God so much. And he gets there to the shore, and the Bible says, and so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said, listen, to Simon Peter. And he says this here, Simon, son of Jonah, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, here's something important. The word love that Jesus is asking him, there is the word agape. He's saying, do you agape me? Do you love me deeply at the highest level of love? And then he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I filio you. This is this love, filio. It's a friendship love. He doesn't say, I love you on that highest level. He's honest with himself. I love you, but I love you like a good friend. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. And Jesus asks him the same question the second time. Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me deeply more than these? And he responds in truth again. He says, yes, I love you, Lord. I love you like a friend. I'll die for you because the Bible does say that. You know, what manner of friendship is this that a man would die for his friend? So we understand Peter knew that kind of love. You're my friend. I'll give everything for you. But it's still not the highest love because that love can be changed. That love on that level there can be fooled. It doesn't last. And Jesus is asking for a deep love. And he says, yeah, I do. I love you. You know I love you. And he said to him again, <laughs> the third time, Simon, son of Jonah. And this time Jesus says to him, do you love me like a friend? And I'm like, wow, what a compromise. You are asking for a much deeper love from Peter. But then you come down and you say, okay, then, Peter, do you really love me like a friend? And then the Bible says Peter got upset. The Bible says he got upset. And what does he say? Lord, you know, for the first time out of the response of those three statements or questions, he now answers it different. And he says, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, even bringing down the requirement of his love that he requires from Peter, still says to him the same thing. Feed my sheep. 
You know what that speaks about? That Christ is able and willing to meet us right where we are. Each one of us. Christ is willing to meet each one of us right in the middle of where we are in our failure. There's no way that you can find yourself that is too extreme for God to work with you right where you are. And Peter, for the first time, says, he says it like this. He says, in other words, a quote of a scripture says, all things before God are open and naked. There's nothing hid from him. And he suddenly realized, it's not just that you know I love you, but now, Lord, you know what? You know everything about me. You know all things about me. You know where I am. You know where I stand. And we all have to come to that place if we want God to restore us. You know me. And you're willing to meet me where I am. And we suddenly find a character in transformation. Peter, in 2 Peter 1, 5 to 11. I don't understand. When I look at this, it's like this is a different person. And he says things like this. But also for this very reason. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. Oh, is this Peter? Yeah. To self-control perseverance. Wow, Peter. To perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. It sounds like the fruit of the Spirit working out of Peter here. Suddenly he's not just controlled by his emotions, but he's controlled by the Holy Spirit. What transformation. And we all can go through that transformation. We all can embark on that journey of change. And he goes on to say, For if these things are, uh, are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. And therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this. C.S. Lewis used, used the image of the central core within each of us that is formed and molded by our choices. People often think, of Christianity or of Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you, and if you don't, I'll do the other thing. I do not think that is the best way of looking at it. I would, I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning the central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is, a that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is a joy and peace and knowledge and power, and to be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, 
impotence and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing to one state or the other. And that's the journey of life. So I want to encourage you guys. You know, God's got you in the perfect place. A place of change. A place of transformation. But before that, a place of restoration. And yes, before that, <laughs> a place of crisis. But be okay to bring it all together and allow God to work in your life. I just hope that you've been blessed this morning. I hope God has just spoken deeply into your hearts. Be confident in who and where God has got you because he's able to take you through. Won't you do me a favor? Stand up with me and I want to pray with you. I know you're mid-semester, lots of things happening. I know that the world, the way it is right now, has thrown so many curveballs at us. And uh, sometimes we can lose our minds. <laughs> sometimes we can get into a state of depression. Sometimes we can get to a state of rash choices. And, but I want to pray with you this morning. I know we've got three more minutes before 11 o'clock, but I just know that God's got something here for you this morning. And God wants to do something in each one of our lives. And we want to surrender to him this morning to take what has been spoken to be deposited deep in our hearts so that we can be transformed for his glory. Won't you allow me to do something in prayer? Won't you just hold your hands up like this here? And you're not doing it to me, you're doing it to God. But this is why I'm asking you to do this. It just symbolizes a state of, Lord, I want to trust you with something in my life. I want to trust you working in my life. And I just say that after this, as we join together, that you'll begin to see some things change in your lives in, in, in a prominent way. And I want to do that too, because I think I need change too. We all need change. So let's pray together. Father, we worship you and honor you today. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy that you have on our lives. And our lives are hidden you through Jesus Christ. We want to thank you, Lord, that you love us with an eternal love. And so together with the student body, we stand before your throne this morning. And we submit to you. We bow our knees to you, Lord. We bow before you who knows all things and sees all things. And of course, you look to the very depth of our hearts this morning. And what you see is potential for your glory to exude out of our lives, to bear fruit and touch others. And today, Lord, we submit to that. We ask you in Jesus' name to touch us deeply, Lord. To touch us to a degree where we can internally look inside of ourselves and as we look to you that we will see ourselves for the need that we have for you. And so we say to you today, oh God, help us. Help us to see. Not only that, help us to act, to be restored. Not only that, help us to Walk through the process of transformation. 
for Christian character to be developed in a way, Lord, we can be more effective with the deep deposit of yourself that you have in us. And so I honor you today. May you bless each one of these students today and as they progress towards the end of the semester. Strengthen them with might in their inner man. Give them confidence, oh God, that the work that you have begun, you are faithful and just to complete that, Lord. And so we want to thank you for this opportunity you've given us today. We choose to take your word and hide it in our hearts, and we choose to bear fruit out of it. We ask you for this in the precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Praise God. Thank you for giving me the time. I appreciate it.